Nobody has more respect for women than I do. Nobody. Hillary Clinton wants to abolish it, believe me. She wants to abolish our Second Amendment. I think they didn't deny it. I don't think anybody denied it. Other presidents did not call did write letters, and some presidents didn't do anything. Many people have come out and said, I'm right. Hello and welcome to episode number 50 of Fallacious Trump, the podcast where we use the insane ramblings of the fool on the hill to explain logical fallacies. I'm your host, Jim. And I'm your other host, Mark. A logical fallacy is an error in reasoning that results in bad or invalid arguments. And the logical fallacy we're looking at this 100th week is the alleged certainty. Yeah, so alleged certainty is basically when you don't back up a claim because you don't need to, because it's so obviously right. And and instead you just say, well, everyone knows that that's true. So, yeah. Oh, okay, right. So it's not it's not an alleged certainty. It's not, or oh, allegedly you're certain. No, it's, it's, no uh, you allege it's, that it is so allege. certain you don't even need yeah, to yeah. provide evidence it's, for it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's kind of self-evidently true, or, or no, not even that. It's just everybody. Everybody knows this already. I yeah. haven't got to provide any proof. What you're claiming is that this is a universally accepted truth. Basically, right. it's not. It's not yeah. something that anyone questions. So, it's fine. And right. <laughs> and it's it's often used, certainly by Trump, in the face of people questioning it. <laughs> right. So our first example from Trump is when a reporter asked him when he says Obamagate. What crime is he actually alleging? What crime exactly are you accusing President Obama of committing, and do you believe the Justice Department should prosecute him? Uh, Obamagate. It's been going on for a long time. It's been going on from before I even got elected, and it's a disgrace that it happened. And if you look at what's gone on, and if you look at now all of this information that's being released, and from what I understand, that's only the beginning. Uh, some terrible things happened, and it should never be allowed to happen in our country again. And you'll be seeing what's going on over the next, over the coming weeks. But I, and I wish you'd write honestly about it. But unfortunately, you choose not to do so. Yeah, John, please. Crime. What is the crime exactly that uh, you're accusing him of? You know what the crime is. The crime is very obvious to everybody. Okay. Yeah. So right. the yeah the crime is uh, ramble, ramble, ramble for twenty seconds or so, <laughs> and then when you're asked yeah. again, okay, so what is it again? Uh, well, everybody knows what it is. Every, it's everybody obvious. Knows what it is. You know what yeah. it is, but you won't report it. Well, you part partly <laughs> because we we don't know what it is. Yeah. And, uh, I don't need don't to actually right. say a thing because yeah, it's you know I just need I'd to be allege wasting it. everyone's time if I did that. Yeah. And because, frankly, you're not going to report that anyway. So why do I even bother saying it? Well, you need to bother to say it so that we can report it. Because you know, that's what we do. We report the things you say and the explanations that you give for the positions <laughs> that you hold vis-a-vis Obamagate, which was happening before he was even elected. What During Obama's... Yeah, presidency. Obamagate was happening. Yeah, I mean the the allegations that have been coming out, which are obviously you know complete bullshit. <laughs> um, yeah, it's all linked to the DOJ's decision to to drop the charges against Michael Flynn after he oh, pled okay, guilty right. twice in federal court. And, and people are kind of going, wait a minute, he's pled guilty <laughs> twice, and yet you're dropping the charges, and he's going, oh yeah, Obama, what? That, yeah, that's kind of here's this thing that that is very dodgy. Oh yeah, look, I'm just going to distract you by holding up this thing over here, 
and going, yeah. look, Obamagate. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the claim, there's lots of claims around unmasking at the moment and saying that that proves the Obama administration were targeting Mike Flynn in an attempt to make him lie to the FBI somehow. And, right, um, <laughs> right. And... And the thing about unmasking, and this is why I have had a lot of difficulty figuring out what on earth they're talking about here, is that unmasking is what happens when an agency like the NSA listens in on a conversation between someone they are authorised to listen to, in this case the Russian ambassador, and an unknown American, or at least an American that in the report is not named. Yeah, Um, yeah. And... And so they aren't spying on the American, they're spying on the Russian. Right. And it happens that the American talked to the Russian. But in their report, yeah. they say this was the Russian and the and he spoke to an American. The people with security clearance then get to say, if they think it's warranted, who was that American? Right. <laughs> and and yeah. that is how someone gets unmasked. By yeah. definition, you can't be targeting a person by asking to have their name unmasked. Because no, you don't know you don't who know they are who until they it's are. been unmasked. So you can't be targeting them <laughs> because yeah. being targeting somebody is is kind of uh, you have to you're taking precise aim <laughs> at the thing Absolutely. that you know you're firing at. Yeah, mm. yeah. And in this it's case, a, yeah, it, it's weird because Richard Grenell, the director of national intelligence, uh, released this document about of of like. 20 or so unmaskings that happened around the time of this alleged phone call or recorded phone call and um <laughs> yeah and, not alleged at all. Um, which We've which is which is weird because none of them were the phone call and the reason we know none of them were phone call is that the nsa didn't listen in on that one that was the fbi right. because they were the right. ones surveilling kislyak the russian ambassador and yep. and yep. in their report because they're not the nsa flynn's name wasn't masked anyway it was just right. Michael Flynn spoke to Sergei Kislyak, and we know that because we were listening on in Kislyak's calls. So yeah. there was no unmasking to be done. And they went, and... "Hey, Mike. Hey, Michael. <laughs> how are you?" In, in an Irish yeah. accent. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I suddenly. Um, yeah, my Russian left me there. <laughs> yeah. And the tran- the transcripts of those calls are how we know that <laughs> Flynn was talking to the Russians about trying to soften them up and ask them not to respond to the sanctions that Obama put in place, which isn't allowed. You can't do that because what they were doing was essentially tipping the hat and saying, if you help us to get Trump elected, then we will not, we will stop those sanctions. We'll take them away. Yeah. And that's, and even if that wasn't what he meant, the implication of that is why you're not allowed to do that kind of negotiation. And because the Russians were listening in on those calls as well, <laughs> they know that when Flynn told the FBI and Pence and Trump that he hadn't discussed sanctions with the Russians, they knew that he'd lied. And therefore, yeah. the Russians had some leverage over Mike Flynn. Mm. So that's not a good thing. And that's why he needed yeah. to be fired and prosecuted and here we are now. And, yeah. So <laughs> here we are now. And the whole unmasking thing makes me think of the the end of Scooby Doo, yeah, where they absolutely. pull the uh, pull the, the rubber ghoul mask off the uh, off the guy who said, "You know, if it wasn't for those meddling kids, I would have got away with it." Yeah, and, and I don't I don't ever remember anyone accusing the Scooby Gang of targeting the old man who ran the water slide. 
No. So, that's right. No, yeah. absolutely, because they didn't know it was him. Exactly. Because they always went, oh, it's the old man who ran the water slide. Yeah. We had no idea. <laughs> they were very clear on that <laughs> up until that moment. Even Scooby went, huh? Like that, you know, with surprise. He didn't Jinkies. just go, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he didn't just, he didn't just go, oh, yeah, I knew it was him all along. <laughs> in fact, we, you know, we've kind of been stalking him. In, yeah. in a knowing way, not one yeah, of you know, said that. Yeah, you noticed that Fred always kind of explained how he'd figure it out after they'd unmasked the guy, as if he yeah. knew before. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah, I was always yeah, suspicious and, of yeah. Fred. Well, exactly. Yeah. And, well, you kind of, film were always kind of looked over her glasses and <laughs> go, oh, yeah, you say that now, <laughs> you, you dope. They only hung around with him because he had the van. Yeah. That's, you know. Sweet van, though. And, uh, it was, so, yeah. Yeah. Since this is the 50th episode of yeah. The Latest Trump, and we felt the need to yeah. do some celebrating. This is a particular prevalent fallacy that Trump does. and so I know, I, I'm surprised have... <laughs> we did it. We took us this long to get there. It's, yeah. Well, in, in honour of that and the 50th episode, yeah. I have created a compilation of yeah. 50 things that oh everybody God. knows according to Trump. Everybody knows they are manipulating their currencies. Everybody knows what a mess our country is in. You're paying too much tax, folks. Everybody knows it. We didn't have one illegal immigrant on the job. Everybody knows it. Everybody knows she's guilty. I never went bankrupt, by the way. As you know, everybody knows. We have illegal immigrants that in many cases are treated better than our great veterans. And you know that, and everybody knows that. Everybody knows it's a horrible deal. Everyone knows all I talk about is cars. Our country has gone so far behind. Everybody knows it. 15,000 people showed up to hear me speak. Bigger than anybody. And everybody knows it. Everybody knows that on Super Tuesday, Trump was the winner. Some of the voting is rigged. Okay, everybody knows. We have a real unemployment rate of 15 or 16 percent. You know that. I know that. Everybody knows that. I'll be the greatest jobs president that God ever created. I will. But everybody knows that. Especially God. Obamacare is dead. I've been saying it for a long time. Everybody knows it. Hillary Clinton lacks the judgment, temperament, and moral character to lead this country. She does. You know it. Everybody knows it. Everybody knows that walls work. They make a left where you don't have the wall. It's so simple. Everybody knows it. People were there protesting the taking down of the monument of Robert E. Lee. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows that China's been ripping off the United States. When I took over as president, uh, I will tell you, it looked like it was going to be war with North Korea. You know that. Everybody knows that. Nancy Pelosi has been hijacked by the radical left, and everybody knows it. Lion Ted Cruz. Everyone knows he's a liar. Chuck Schumer. Everyone in New York knows he's a total phony. Gerald Nadler. I've known him a long time. He's a sleazebag. Everybody knows that. The FBI has been... In turmoil, you know that, I know that, everybody knows that. As everyone knows, we just won seven and a half billion dollars. As everyone knows, I have done a lot for Israel. I won't use a certain word because it's not politically, but everybody knows the word I'd love to use. Ninth Circuit, everybody knows it. It's totally out of control. I have nothing to do with Russia. Everybody knows it. Everyone knows we did nothing wrong. There was no obstruction. Everybody knows it. Everybody knows there was no collusion. Everybody knows the Russian witch hunt was a faux, phony fraud. The dossier now, everybody knows it was fake. All they do is 
the impeachment nonsense, and everyone knows it's nonsense. We had a perfect phone call with the president of Ukraine. Uh, everybody knows it. Everybody knows who the whistleblower is. Everybody knows that Schiff, we call him Shifty Shift, he made up the story. As everybody knows, we've been treated very unfairly, very different from anybody else. Everybody knows that Joe Biden does not have what it takes. I am totally opposed to domestic violence of any kind. Everyone knows that. They were spying on my campaign, and it went right up to the top, and everybody knows it. We've done more than any other president in the first three years. You know that. Everybody knows that. If Sleepy Joe was president, he wouldn't even know what's going on. You know that. I mean, everybody knows that. Everyone knows it came out of China. I do have an absolute right to pardon myself, but I'll never have to do it because I didn't do anything wrong. And everybody knows it. So there we go. And it He's, is. Everybody knows everything. All of all those of, things. All of his pet hates, he he knows that everybody knows. So he hasn't got to provide any proof at all. It's a bit like the latest thing in Michigan with the mail-in uh, votes. Yeah, the voter, well, ev- voter fraud. Everybody, everybody knows that voter fraud. Everybody is. knows the yeah. voter fraud. Everybody knows because even though everybody also knows weirdly that the fbi investigated that and there was no voter fraud all that stuff everybody knows whether it goes comes back to to infallible ignorance it's not trump saying i am believing this in the face of all the evidence that you can present to me but it's not me it's everybody everybody knows this is true and will maintain the fact that obama is from (laughs) kenya you know, even after it's been proved that he isn't, he would just go, well, it isn't me. It's not me you need to convince. It's everybody, everybody else. Everybody knows this. Yeah, so it is it's, It is a way of saying if you disagree, you're in the minority. And not only that, basically, you know, everyone disagrees with you. You're just being stupid if you don't go along. Yeah. It's it's and, a it's a kind of argument from numbers and, and invincible this ignorance. Just proof by assertion. Yeah. And yeah. It's it's a yeah. number of fallacies all rolled into one. All rolled into one. <laughs> Fifty of them. That's all rolled into one. Yeah. And now is the time I think for Mark's British politics. Corner. Okay, so this is a bit a bit of an involved one and we've only got like, one example, but there's lots of clips to listen to. There's been a recent change in the status of the sloganeering around COVID nineteen in the UK. And my thesis is that Boris isn't able to explain what the new sloganeering <laughs> actually means, and yet he maintains it's the right thing to do. And that everybody knows that, so therefore he doesn't have to explain it. And I think it's because he can't; he doesn't get it. You know, he he more than at any time, it's become very clear that he's the puppet of his comms team, who just say, who are just going, okay, well, you just need to spin it slightly differently now. Um, and he, they just wheel him out and get you. Just say this, people like you. You were on the telly once. They think you're funny. You've got odd hair and a, a weird way of clenching your fists when you're pointing. He's the only <laughs> man I know who points with, with a clenched, clenched fist, fist yeah. with the knuckles <laughs> of his first fit. You know, we thought it was odd that Trump points with tiny hands, but Boris clenches his fist and then points with the with the pointy bit of your fist. There yeah. are no pointy bits on your fist. Who are you pointing I mean, at? You're Trump, d- Trump doesn't, Trump doesn't point so much as play the invisible accordion all the time when he's talking. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, two weeks ago, 
everything was clear, even all the way up to Saturday, May the 9th. The welcome fall we've seen in deaths is not only an achievement of the doctors and nurses and care workers, but everyone in the country for following the stay-at-home guidance. To reiterate, nothing I'm saying today changes these basic rules. So that's Grant Shapps there on May the 9th. And the three basic rules are stay at home, protect the NHS, National Health Service, save lives. Fairly clear. On Sunday, in a 15-minute address to the nation, Boris changed it to stay alert, control the virus, save lives. And you can watch the whole thing. We put the link in the show notes. But here's Matt Lucas, the uh, TV comedian and actor, summing up basically what Boris said. So we are saying, don't go to work, go to work. Don't take public transport, go to work, don't go to work. Stay indoors. If you can work from home, go to work. Don't go to work. Go outside. Don't go outside. And uh, and then we will or won't uh, something or other. <laughs> Which is a pretty accurate summary of what went on. So on May 11th, following day, at the press briefing, um, he was asked, well, what does this mean? A lot of people felt your speech last night raised as many questions as it gave answers. There are, Prime Minister, different instructions for people in different parts of the UK. You can see your colleagues if you go to work, but grandparents can't look after their children. Many employers say they're just not ready to have people back to work yet. So what do you say to millions of people watching right now who may well be a bit perplexed by what you're actually trying to say and what they are meant to do? That the... The the answer is that, uh, and I, I totally I get where you're where you're, you're coming from. Yes, of course, uh, the message that we were giving out initially was incredibly clear and incredibly stark, and the UK population actually obeyed it more thoroughly, perhaps than many other uh, populations around the world. They, we we really did stay at home, and for for those who, um, you know, who who think that. Uh, Laura, that the, um, uh, the, the stay alert is, is is not the the right message. I think it is absolutely the right message for our for our country now. And I'm 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 interested that uh, just today in uh, in France uh, they've uh, they've gone for a, a slogan uh, "Sauver des vies, restez prudent," uh, which is uh, as, as I'm sure everybody knows is uh, roughly the same. Uh, the same sort of thing as our message. I think it's the right way to go. So there we are, clearly clarifying succinctly and lucidly um, exactly what the message is. It, it, he kind of, well, apart from fumbling around for any kind of an idea at all, <laughs> he doesn't actually answer her question. What is it that it means? What, did, what have people got to do? He says... We obeyed the last thing because it was very stark and very clear what the message was last time. So by inference, this <laughs> is neither stark nor clear. And then instead of saying what it means, he says, I think it's important that we use it now. So much so that he then says it in French. Yeah. Which, as, not which quite as everybody in, in knows, either. not quite. But doesn't, he doesn't no. actually translate the French, and there's no need to translate no. the French because everyone speaks. Because everybody knows. Everyone knows. And, <laughs> and not only does everybody know <laughs> what it is, but they know that this is the right time to use that slogan. Yeah. It's, it's just nuts. But what he doesn't do 
Uh, so he's simply making the assertion that everybody knows this, so he doesn't have to explain it. I think it's because he has no idea how to make the link between the last set of behaviours, stay at home, save lives, protect the NHS, and stay alert. I mean, there's just... Staying alert won't help you. <laughs> That's the problem. No, you've got to say stay alert to what? <laughs> exactly. Stay alert about what? You know, it's wh- not, what you know... It? It's not because someone's coming to get you with a knife. It's like, you know, be ready, like Clouseau. Yeah. It's... Yeah. It's... A... <laughs> it's, yeah. it's... <laughs> yeah. You're walking through the the apartment waiting Something's for Kato to leap out of the fridge. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Coronavirus leaps at you from the fridge where it's been sat all day, tries to chop you in half and, and smashes you through most of the furniture. Yeah, but you're alert for that. You're ready, ready for that. You'd be constantly gritting your teeth. You'd have jaw ache from that alertness. And you're you with tape holding your eyes open. Alert for an inv- what? For an invisible <laughs> thing that's my minuscule. Can't see it anyway. You can't tell whether anyone's got it because you could have it with having no symptoms. Yeah. So what is it you're supposed to be alert to? And then and then rule two, control the virus. As for so, controlling so, the virus, yeah. So make a yeah. vaccine? Uh. Yeah. Contro- <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know. Make a tiny little series <laughs> of channels so that it all just goes down there, like guttering. Yeah. So you're just controlling the flow of the virus away from you. It's yeah. bizarre. It's rebranding it's, for the sake of it, isn't it? It's like when, it when a big company is. just thinks, you know, we've had this this slogan and this brand for a long time. Yes, we're really well recognised and everyone knows it and we already make billions of dollars a year, but let's just mix it up a bit. Let's just change it. <laughs> we know that it's because he's getting there's pressure from within the Tory party to get people back to work because otherwise we're just socialists we're paying everybody's wages <laughs> and if you listen to the don't don't do it for god's sake for your sanity no. well the thing is his whole i mean TV if you if you know what the rules were before and you do listen to it yeah because yeah. the rules changed very very dramatically from work at home if you can yeah if you can't you're allowed to go to work that was the rule beforehand and Boris changed that to, if you can't work from home, you can go to work. But if you can stay at home, then stay at home. Yeah. So go Which, to work. Don't go to work. What? Which? Yeah, go outside. Nothing, don't go outside. All, all that yeah. changed at like 8 o'clock on a Sunday night was yeah. saying, yeah, we're expecting some workplaces to open up in the morning. <laughs> so Yeah. But don't know, go to work if, if you it's can. Unsafe. But not all workplaces. Yeah. Yeah. If it's, there was, it's just... It was a, it was a, it was a positioning of the problem to the other end of their arm. So it was moving them <laughs> arms length so that they're not responsible for dealing with the problem. That's what it was. It was a kind of a a shifting of the notion that we will look after you. We're going to make you stay at home. We're going to fund the NHS so that they're not underfunded. We're going to pay you so you can stay at home. All that kind of stuff. We're, we are basically going to be a big government and look yeah. after stuff. And they're moving away from that because it's getting expensive. But at and the same time, this was like the day after they announced that they were extending the furlough scheme for four more months. Yeah, yeah. 
So, yeah. While also Absolutely. telling people to stay at home. Yeah, <laughs> well, stay at not, home. Don't stay at home. Not technically stay at home, yeah. but stay alert. And if you have to leave home, then stay alert. (laughs) Nonsense. And the irony is that the the question that question was asked by Laura Kunzberg at the BBC. She also asked whether the scientists had any um, input into this change of message. And Chris Whitty, who uh, that you look at them these days, they look even more unhappy. And they're beginning to realise that they're sh- swimming with sharks. <laughs> they're kind of going along with these people. And any minute now, they're going to get scapegoated and eaten. If That's if sharks eat goats. They kind of, they're just going to get thrown under the bus. They, they're going to go, well, we followed the science. But to use the oft-repeated oft phrase when people say, yeah, Dominic Cummings, he's actually running the country, isn't he? your advisor he's running the country you do what he tells you to do and he says ah no advisors advise politicians decide so i think the scientists should say scientists advise politicians decide so that the scientists don't get you know get the rap for this because they don't and in fact the irony is patrick valance the chief scientific scientific advisor Explain perfectly the link between stay alert and and the previous stuff. And it is obviously true that we must all be alert during this in terms of hand washing, in terms of social distancing, in terms of understanding what role we play. Because if we allow this to get out of control, if we allow the transmission to increase between households, then we go back to where we were. Perfect. That's it. That's all he needed to have said. <laughs> when somebody said, "What was? What's? The, what does this mean?" So, well, you need to stay alert in terms of. And he and he, there's Patrick even saying, "Everybody knows it's perfectly obvious," which is a kind of a, like a nice little dig at Boris. You idiot! You can't even see the the obvious thing that's put in front of you. That we've got to stay alert in terms of all of the behaviours that we put in place when we had the old rules. So it's just, God damn. And actually, Chris Whitty says we, although we were the scientists, we're not the comms experts. So he was washing his hands of this change of messaging. But ironically, the best bit of comms came from the scientists who were utterly clear. And they're just like the grown-ups in the room. They just go with this, there's this umming and ahhing fool who doesn't know what to say, what it means, why he's saying it, what what the implications are or any of that or how to sell it to to the listening public. We're all going, okay, we're waiting for you. Here you are doing a broadcast. You've told us nothing. Other yeah, than just that. just imagine, Americans, how we feel to have a, a total bumbling idiot in charge and then scientists Long, coming yeah, along with weird and hair. explaining yeah. everything. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine how that must be? Uh, <laughs> yeah. You don't want to be us. So, no. <laughs> And so also in the spirit of our 50th show, I wanted to count how many times Boris Umdenerd in total in providing a response. I hesitate to use the word answer to that question. And yes, here they are. There are indeed 32. <laughs> so, and here they all are. Um, uh, um, uh, 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 u
<laughs> I don't know which is worse, either having Boris not knowing what to say or have Trump fill up the air with saying things that mean no more than uh, 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 mm. <laughs> that's, you know, if Trump did that, that would be a blessed relief, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, it would. Leonard Cohen there with Everybody Knows, <laughs> which which was covered for the uh, the Marvel film Justice League by Siegfried. I I learned today. Okay. Which yeah, there you go. I tried to. I don't know if I've tried to blank out Justice League or it's just it was so forgettable that I can't remember any of it. It's hard to tell. Yeah. Well, so. I had to watch the watch the official video <laughs> to go. Oh, well, that. Oh, I'm intrigued <laughs> by that. And then you're going. Oh, well, that's what's his name being. Who's it? Yeah. And the other bloke. <laughs> so yeah, there we are. In the Fallacy in the Wild, we like to talk about the Fallacy of the Week from a non-political perspective. And this week, our first example is from the Jerry Seinfeld film B-Movie, in which uh, he plays a bee. And this is <laughs> right at the very, very beginning of the film. Two bees driving along in a car, as they do. Hey, did you hear about Frankie? Yeah. You going to his funeral? No, I'm not going to his funeral. Everybody knows just think someone you die. You don't waste it on a squirrel. He was such a hothead. <laughs> Everybody knows. So. <laughs> yeah. I haven't actually seen the B movie. That's... <laughs> yeah, it's, it's got moment. It's weird. It's super fucking right. weird, actually. Did you see the sausage party? That is completely bloody bonkers so, as well. The thing is, B movie is for children. Sausage party is very right. much a grown ups film, but B movie is for yeah, children. Yeah, yeah. And, and it revolves in a way around a, a human woman having a relationship with a bee. Which is uh, okay. Pretty fucking weird. Odd. <laughs> yeah. Well, but, there's a there's a song in uh, an early Monty Python record called Eric the Half a Bee. Bee, yeah. Somebody had a relationship with him, and he loved him carnally. <laughs> to rhyme with Eric the Half a Bee. <laughs> so yeah, everyone knows that when bees sting you, they die. That's just a given. So that bee who stung a squirrel deserved to die. Yeah. But that isn't necessarily true. Because, oh. first of all, only honeybees die when they sting you. Other other right. types of bee, like bumblebees and things like that, are, are yep. all the other species of bee are able to sting you and and then remove the sting, get, get, away, get with away, away with it. Yeah, right. absolutely. Yeah. Um, and in fact, because basically the the stinger is designed to, to attack other animals and other insects, and it's only right. mammals that have skin that is kind of fibrous enough to grab onto the barbs on the stinger and, and essentially rip and the abdomen apart when the, uh, when the okay. bee pulls out. Also, and more importantly for this, because these are honeybees, so that would be fair, but yeah. male bees can't sting you. Male bees don't have stingers, and this they are talking specifically about a male uh, bee here. Oh, yeah. Because um, yeah. the stinger is actually a, a an adapted... Ovipositor, so right. only female bees 
can sting. So wow, there you go. There you go. So everybody knows that, but it's, uh, it's the wrong thing. Not everyone yeah. knows that. Yeah. So our next example is from Singing in the Rain, the 1952 Stanley Donan film. In case you haven't seen Singing in the Rain, first of all, fucking sort yourself out. What are you doing? Just <laughs> what have you been doing uh, all your life? <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Uh, but it's it's the story of uh, Hollywood in the 20s and when talkies were coming in and there's two kind of studio stars in the film, Lena and Don, and they are romantic leads in many films and they are kind of set up by the studio as a couple. And this happened in real Hollywood uh, all the time, but Don is not in love with Lena. He falls for uh, a new character, Kathy, who is is much nicer and we like... <laughs> I was kissing her. I happened to be in love with her. That's ridiculous. Everybody knows you're in love with me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Again, as Lena says, everybody knows that Don is in love with her, and that is technically what everybody knows, because that's what the studio tells people, but it isn't. Yeah. Yeah. That reminded me of my other uh, candidate for the, the sting this week was Everybody Knows That I Love You by The Divine Comedy. And that, oh, and then but was it? Everybody knows I love you, except you. Yeah, that's the yeah, that's the payoff. But that's yeah. But we covered it in singing in the rain, so <laughs> I didn't need to. So it's fine. Yeah. So yeah, Lena can't just assert that everyone knows that he loves her. So that must be true. The, it's not true. Yes, it's especially just, in the face yeah. of the evidence <laughs> to the contrary Absolutely. from the man himself. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Classic, classic film. Brilliant. <laughs> A much more recent musical is uh, Muppets Most Wanted. Which begins with a song that includes these lyrics. We're doing a sequel. That's what we do in Hollywood. And everybody knows that the sequel's never quite as good. <laughs> <laughs> then they just exit out of shot. They realise what they've said. <laughs> they can't exit out of shot. So. <laughs> And my immediate thought was, yeah, Godfather yeah, Part 2. Yeah, I mean, it is yeah. kind of mostly true. But it's not always true. But um, but it, it is, I mean, it's usually true. I mean, I've seen Ride Along yeah. too, and, oh, wow, that's a piece of shit. So, uh, have you, yeah. Jesus Christ. Uh, <laughs> yeah. but, I mean, the first well, one wasn't great, but, gee. Oh, no, that's what I meant. <laughs> yeah. you, you actually went to see it again. <laughs> I'm thinking of Toxic Avenger 6, oh, you know, that yeah. kind of stuff, yeah. But, 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 you know, it's not it's not universal truth. There's there's some films arguably where the sequels are better. I'm struggling to bring any to mind. Yeah, I know, yeah, but... Godfather Part Two, <laughs> but but only on the virtue of the fact that that won an Oscar for Best Picture and Godfather didn't. So we're gonna we're gonna play fake news, folks. I love the game. It's a great game. I understand the game as well as anybody, as well as anybody. Yes, it's time for fake news. The game where I read out three Trump quotes, two of which are real and one I made up, and Mark has to figure out which one is fake news. The score is what we currently. It's at. we're at, we're at twenty one out of forty nine at the moment, so you have the the possibility of getting up to forty four percent with this. Yeah, uh, with the question. Well, because see, everybody knows the questions have been weighed in your favour throughout this <laughs> entire series, and no one's looking into that. Why? Why is no one investigating that? How dumb? How dumb luck could be? How dumb is actually dumb luck? Yeah, let's let's see how dumb luck is uh, with this one. So, um, <laughs> right so then. these these are. I mean, it's it's coronavirus themed, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unsurprising, really. Statement number one: 
many of these people aren't very sick, but they still go down as a case. So actually, the number of cases... And we're also a much bigger country than most. So when we have a lot of cases, I don't look at that as a bad thing. I look at that as, in a certain respect, as being a good thing, because it means our testing is much better. So if we were testing a million people instead of 14 million people, we would have far few cases, right? So I view it as a badge of honour. Really, it's a badge of honour. Uh, okay. Yep. Well, that, that's not an unreasonable thing to say, really, because it's that Isn't kind of... It? Well, no, in, in, no, the badge of honour, yeah, obviously. <laughs> but the thing about the thing about our testing, because we've got a lot of cases, because our testing is better. Actually, if, if our testing was worse, we wouldn't know how many we've got. Yeah, that's yeah, that's the thing. True. It's not that they would have fewer yeah. cases; they just yeah. wouldn't know about all the cases they yeah, had. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the reason they've got the, as many cases as they got is because they did fuck all about it yeah. for months and months and months. <laughs> So, so yeah, so th so that's the, the equivalent of <laughs> Boris saying we've been quite successful. People, yeah. many people if have instead said. of instead of stay alert, if they just said, uh, you know, bury your head in the sand, then it'd probably go yeah. away. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Bury yeah. your dead. Yeah, bring out your yeah. dead. That, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Really, so. it's a badge of honour. What the <laughs> fuck? All right. Okay. Statement okay. number two. Right. Yeah. When you think about it, it makes sense that we have the most cases. We're a big country, really a big, one of the biggest in terms of people and size. Some other countries, you know, South Korea is a lot smaller than us, but they're still, Seoul is huge, 38 million people in Seoul. I didn't know that. Did you know that? When you have that many people all in one, you can get to them very easily to test. We have some very large areas of country, which makes it a lot harder. And still, we've done a phenomenal job. Okay, that, mm, yeah, yeah. Okay. My suspicions about that, but okay. State right. number three. I'm probably going to show you charts of some of the countries. Well, that's fake for a that... minute. You're not going to show anybody any charts. He won't know what they are unless he <laughs> sharpened them himself. Right. Okay. Yeah, um, sorry. <laughs> some of the countries that are really having trouble, and one in particular is having a massive problem where they said, let's go, we're just going to keep going. Well, there, the lines that we're famous for now, some are flat and some are up. This is like a rocket ship. This country is, and they didn't, they decided, let's go and let's wing it. That's, you know, they thought it was okay, but it's, it's a problem. It's a big problem. And there's another couple, there's one in particular, that everybody thinks did it, but the people are staying in. Everybody knows. What the hell is that? Okay. What? It's a, it's a rocket ship. They set now for so I'm going up. There's a, okay. And yeah, right. So the other one, South South Korea. See, I think I probably know that what he's talking about. The third one, you go. Oh yeah, well that's Sweden, and then that's it. so he's there's a there's. The thing about Trump is he relies on the fact that you know what he's talking about. Well, yeah, exactly, yeah. People <laughs> go into the they, they go talking in, about. they go into the hospital, they have the problems. They you know get, what I'm talking go, about. You know the problems, yeah. <laughs> you know the problems. Yeah, exactly. And everybody knows that yeah. So okay, many people are sick. I think the mm, I don't want any of them to be real because it's just appalling. God damn. Uh, okay, having trouble. Massive problem. Okay, so I'm convinced by number three because there's my cognitive bias at work. That cost that's Sweden. That's saying Sweden to me. So I'm, 
I'm convinced by that one. Oh God. Okay. I right. Okay. On that basis, then I think that number two, and everybody knows number two is the one you made up. Okay. So of the other two, you're right. more you're more sure about number three. I think. Are you? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So number three is yeah, yeah. real. I'm probably going oh to show God, you charts no. of some of the countries that are really having trouble. And uh, one in particular is having a massive problem where they said, let's go. We're just going to keep going. Well, they're yeah, the U.S. The lines that you're, we're famous for now, some are flat and some are up. Uh, this is like a rocket ship. This country is uh, and they didn't. They decided, let's go and let's wing it. That's, uh, you know, they thought it was OK, but it's uh, it's. It's a problem. It's a big problem. And there's another couple. There's one in particular that everybody thinks did it, but the people are staying in. I have no idea what that means. Do you know what that means? No. Everybody thinks did it. Like, does everybody think that the government told them to stay in, but people are staying in just because... I don't know. What does that mean? Or or they just said, stay out. (laughs) Go, Go outside, but they didn't, and the people are staying in. And what is that a problem? <laughs> There's, it's a big problem. There's another it's couple, one yeah. in particular, that everybody thinks did it, but the people are staying in. No idea. Who who did it? The, what? That's the beauty Even of that, not not saying who the country is that you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, you everybody has to do the work for like, you. Uh, yeah, really. What is it? Does he yeah. mean that one, or does he mean that one? And then they come back and go, "Oh, that's a very wise, insightful thing you've just yeah. said." Yeah. I also like the lines, the lines that where some are flat and some are up. Those are the two kinds of yeah. lines that you can have yeah, on charts. Kind, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, the, and one like a rocket ship. I love that. Who says rocket ship? Nobody has said rocket ship. It says about 1953. Someone, someone who would say something like super-duper missile. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Somebody who's brought up on, on, on uh, Buck Rogers and that, or Duck, or duck Dodgers, and more likely <laughs> Duck Dodgers. Yeah. Yeah. In the 25th and a half uh, century. <laughs> yeah. And the Martian, oh dear, who is kind of basically Droopy, droopy the dog. <laughs> the, the What's his name? Kevin Marvin, or something? Marvin the Martian. Marvin, Marvin the Martian, <laughs> who has who has no face. It's just this kind of mm-hmm. black ball inside yeah. a Roman helmet. <laughs> Why does he wear a Roman helmet? <laughs> yeah. Why is that? Yeah, I don't know. There's a, no. probably a good reason. But, but that Trump, <laughs> Trump, Trump's grasp of space technology comes from then. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. you also think that number one is real? I think it ought, really ought not to be. And uh, number but, one. But I think, yeah. Is real. Many of these people aren't very sick, but they still no. go down as a case. So actually the number of cases, and we're also a much bigger country than most, so when we have a lot of cases, I don't look at that as a bad thing. I look at that as, in a certain respect, as being a good thing, because it means our testing is much better. So if we were testing a million people instead of 14 million people, we would have far fewer cases, right? So I view it as a badge of honor. Really, it's a badge of honor. It's Jesus. Amazing. He is, he is turning the number of people who have coronavirus into a yeah. positive thing for him because yeah. it proves the how biggest... great a job he's doing yeah yeah all that all that standing by standing idly by and pre- and preventing anything from happening 
has is paid off. Yeah. Oh God. God damn it. We would have had far fewer. Ca- no, it's not right. No, which means that you have won this week, hey, which I think is saw that there's some kind news. of run going on here. I think you're like three or four in a row. I don't know what's going on. Well, but, um, but yeah, that, see, that puts you up. Everybody knows I'm brilliant at this. <laughs> that puts you up to 22 out of 50, which is 44%. Uh, so oh, yeah, number right. two was indeed made up by me. I didn't convince you with the uh, the the one of the biggest well, countries in was... terms of people and size. No, oh. well, no, I enjoyed that. That was a gym-sized joke. But the, I almost, you almost turned me with. We have some very large areas of the country. We've made it a lot harder. Still, we've done a phenomenal job. That I've, I got. Oh, that's very. Uh, that was the. I nearly, nearly went for that one. It was a choice between that and the first one, actually. So one of the fun was, things that I uh, included in there is the size of Seoul or the population of Seoul, yeah. which yeah. he has claimed that there's 38 million people in Seoul before. There are not 38 million people in Seoul. Right. In fact, there's, I think, 10 million, something like that. Um, <laughs> but what it is, is um, the elevation of Seoul, if you go on Wikipedia, mm. is and it's right next to the population, is 38 metres above sea level. <laughs> <laughs> so... So if you look on Wikipedia... Brilliant. We've got an insight top. into into where he's got that from. Brilliant. So not only is he an idiot, he can't read. Uh-huh. That's so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can't just read out any number. It's not interchangeable. Yeah. Jesus. Oh, dear. It's time for the part of the show that this week, at least, is called Logically Fallacious is Not a Logical Fallacy, because my guest this week is creator of the website Logically Fallacious and author of the book of the same name. He's a speaker on topics such as business, psychology, critical thinking and humanism, and author of the newly released book Rules of Reason, Making and Evaluating Claims. It's Dr. Bo Bennett. Bo, welcome to the show. Thank you. So good to be here. I mentioned offline I've been a follower of Logically Fallacious for a long time. It's a it's a fantastic resource for people who are interested in logical fallacies. What first got you interested in critical thinking and logical fallacies? It was actually three years of debate, starting with religious debate. Uh, it was about maybe 10, 15 years ago, some, sometime around then. A friend of mine, actually a co-worker, gave me a book about Jesus. <laughs> um, it was, he was trying to convert me to uh, Christianity. And at, I mean, at the time I was, I was a Christian. I, I, well, I considered myself a Catholic. I was raised Catholic, but I haven't done much with it, but I still identified as a Catholic, but apparently I wasn't the right kind of Christian for him. So he gave me the book on Jesus. And that's what really kind of opened my eyes to like, what the heck is going on here? I read the book and it was just a horrible, horrible book. Not that there aren't any good arguments for some religious claims, but this was just a horrible book with horrible arguments. And I said, okay, something's going on here. So that kind of prompted me to start a a website called debategod.com. And it was a forum where I, I ran it daily, probably like five hours a day. I communicated on there with people all around the world about religion, faith. And at the time I was, when I started it, I was legitimately on the fence, more on the side of still being a Catholic and and a believer in God. 
But over three years, my position changed uh, quite drastically. And uh, mo what's more important about that isn't the position that I held on religion, but it was the discovery of logical fallacies. This idea that there's something going on here, like it, the arguments look good on the surface. And when presented, if you read them quickly, you could even be convinced by it. But something is wrong in this argument. And it was driving me crazy because I saw this pattern everywhere in all these different arguments. And I realized what I'm seeing here, something called logical fallacies. They're not, they're not errors in facts, but they're really just mistakes in reasoning, uh, mistakes in the reasoning process, or even attempts at trying to kind of pull the wool over somebody's eyes and, and try to manipulate them into believing something when there's some trickery going on there. So I, I just became fascinated by that because I think that was my first real introduction to logical fallacies uh, outside, of course, being exposed to them my whole life, but you don't know about them <laughs> until you actually do. And again, the fascination just caused me to essentially uh, shut down the forum because I, I was just done debating that topic and, and spending so much time getting my PhD in psychology. Initially, I wanted to go in philosophy and I started going down that road, but it turns out that psychology was definitely the right, the right direction for me to go in. And then ultimately creating the website and the book by the same name, Logically Fallacious. And I'm really happy to announce that in a few months, I'm going to be releasing the next edition, which, which adds like another hundred pages to the already wow. pretty thick extensive resource. Excellent. So yeah, one of the other fantastic resources on the website that I very much encourage people to go and have a look at is is the forum where people can ask about things that they've heard or seen that they think sound maybe like they're the reasoning isn't quite there and they want to know if it is a fallacy and what kind of fallacy it is. There's a really helpful community there that kind of can point people towards the right right place to go and find out more about it. Yes, thank you since you've started that you've written a number of books on all kinds of different uh, topics from vegetarianism religion secularism what led you to to write this one the uh, rules of reason helping people on the logically fallacious forum every day I, I put in about maybe an average of two hours a day and i enjoy every minute of it i don't even at all consider it work i i love looking at arguments, going through it and exercising my own brain and learning as I go as well and getting feedback and having people uh, push me a little bit if they don't agree with what I'm saying. All of that I enjoy. And it's, it's a very friendly, cordial forum too. Rarely do we have any anybody that, uh, I don't think I've ever kicked anybody off as a matter of fact. I think uh, <laughs> I think one person left on their own because they uh, they didn't fit in too well in the group. But besides that, it's it's just a great forum, and so that that really helped me to kind of take it to the next level and say, okay, we, we've got these fallacies here, but that's not enough. There's still something going on where people are, even if they understand fallacies, they're not quite understanding the the argument process. They're not understanding the claims that are being made. And by that, they're not correctly identifying the claims is, is what I really mean. So I, I wanted to really focus on this one idea of the correct way to make and evaluate claims. And that's what I did with Rules of Reason. I basically came up with 
uh, 10 different rules or I think 11 different rules that you could follow systematically. It doesn't have to be in order, but it's it's a good process to to know those rules every time you're about to make a claim or every time somebody else makes a claim. And it, it's up to you to to follow those rules and really get a sense of what the claim is actually about. What is the person actually claiming? And and to take it from there before you even get to the point of evaluating it for the evidence for the claim. Uh, that's a big mistake that people make that I've discovered over the years is, is people are jumping right into trying to get evidence for a claim, yet they have the completely wrong claim. They're spending all their time <laughs> trying to find evidence for a claim that nobody ever made. And that in logically uh, fallacious land is called the straw man. When somebody tries to uh, make an argument, basically restate your argument that you never made, that's a weaker argument that's easier to take down. And it's not only the straw man, but it's also just completely misinterpreting the claim and not fully understanding. And when the other person who made the claim doesn't understand that, doesn't quite get that you don't understand the claim, you're just it, it's just like an endless back and forth of time wasted and nonsense arguing and debating about an issue that nobody is supporting or a claim that nobody is making. So uh, that's what the, the rules of reason is, is all about. It's really just to identify the claim and master the art and the science of evaluating and making claims. One of the things you say in there is, is that no matter how good you are or think you are at evaluating claims, there's more you can learn and there's using these rules will help you to get better at it and i think right. that's absolutely true i mean obviously we try our best on this show to um to get better at critical thinking and to really kind of consider before we start going in and debunking stuff but I, i've definitely learned, learned stuff from it and there's things really that i need to kind of remember to keep in mind when i'm doing it and i think the same will go for our listeners who some of whom will have listened for now 50 episodes and and thought they were well hopefully are getting better at critical thinking, but there is always more to learn. So yeah, it, it's definitely a process. It's not something you wake up one day and hey, I'm a master <laughs> at critical thinking. Absolutely. So you you talk in the book, and one of the one of the rules, in fact, is about exploring your biases and recognizing that there's motivated reasoning, and some people are kind of ideologically motivated to to believe certain things without necessarily going through the whole process of thinking it out logically. Right. Do you think there's a way of getting through to people in that situation who are really motivated to keep believing what they believe? How how do you combat that? I believe there is. I believe if you can recognize your motivation for believing in certain things, and, and if you could apply that to other people as well, like think about like why would somebody else be motivated to believe something? And then you could see the, the similarities and the parallels with your own motivation, then it, it something will connect, something will click in your mind where you say, oh, I see, uh, I might be guilty of this as well. Motivated reasoning is so powerful. I, I, I try to make it a, a, a very clear point in my book, uh, how powerful that is. Because most of us, I, I would say virtually all of us, have our political biases. Uh, we have our, our biases when it comes to religion. We have our biases when it comes to uh, sexuality. Pretty much any belief, any topic, 
uh, we we have our biases. We're biased. We we lean in a certain way, and a lot of that has to do with emotional. We can't always um, self analyze and and think about where we got these biases from, where they come from. But once we realize that we have them and they're very strong, we can compensate for those biases. We could say, okay, I realize that I really want this to be true. I realize with with every fiber of my being, I want this fact or I want this supposed fact to be true or want this to be a fact, let's say. Um, and once you realize that, then you're saying, okay, so maybe I have to cast a little doubt on my my confidence level here. I got to bring down my confidence level for what was maybe 99.9%, bring it down to about 80%. And let's continue the reasoning process from that point. And it makes it so much easier to accept new information. So that, that's the whole idea of, uh, of, of really confronting motiva- motivated reasoning. And y- you asked, like, is it something that one person, like, is it something that I could really communicate to somebody else? Like if I'm arguing with them and I could tell that they're very motivated um, in, in their reasoning. Uh, yes. In kind of what I explained, but also it's really a process of self-discovery and that's where it's most powerful. When, when some, when you just kind of put the idea in somebody's mind that, look, this is called motivating reasoning. It's extremely powerful. And I'm very confident that you are doing it right now. <laughs> I want you to think about that and let them think about it. Let them stew it over and something, something will click. Okay, so when people are disagreeing, often online, it comes up with someone who is clearly using poor reasoning or or even sometimes a specific fallacy. What should their first step be in kind of trying to point that out in a diplomatic way, do you think? Well, that's the key, being diplomatic. And it depends on the circumstances. In most cases, if you are having a conversation with somebody and you really do want to use diplomacy, you, you want to set up a, a, a type of exchange where you're not backing the person into a corner. And by that, I mean, you're not setting the person up to really want to defend their beliefs just to save face, just, just so they don't look stupid. Uh, and the way to do that is is be as humble as you can in the process and don't be an idiot. Don't be, um, don't be an ass to them. Uh, be as like polite as possible. And if you can use some, use some humor, like self-deprecating humor, uh, point out like your own mistakes to, to make them easier to, uh, to make them, uh, I guess, more amenable to admit their own mistakes so you want to you want to try to create that kind of environment uh, as opposed to like a hostile environment where you're competing with somebody to win a debate to win an argument you want to set it up where you're both playing on the same team and you both have the same goal and that's to get to the truth that's to find out what is true because everybody wants to believe true things as opposed to false things, at least that's what we tell <laughs> that's ourselves. The theory. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so that's the kind of environment that you want to set up. Yeah. I see sometimes people coming onto your forums uh, who appear to be not necessarily kind of genuinely asking a question, but looking for a, an argument or looking at least to put their point 
across. Right. Um, and, and they usually, I mean, everyone is very friendly towards them and, and very eager to, to kind of engage with their actual points and put counterpoints. So that can be interesting, I think. Yeah, yeah, we we have we do have um, a series a selection of of very religious folks. We have a lot of uh, Trump supporters. Uh, I wouldn't say a lot. I would say like a selection, a handful. Um, we we've got people. At, the only thing I don't think we have is flat earthers, <laughs> and that's a good thing. Uh, I think anybody, if a flat earther even came to our site, they, they wouldn't. You know, they, they just wouldn't. Uh, they wouldn't be a flat earther if they were interested <laughs> in our site. Let's put it that way. Uh, but yeah. for the most part, we we have a we have a good arrangement of of different beliefs, and over the years, that's one thing that I actually changed with my book. I tried to take out strong political and strong religious examples that made the other side look foolish, um, or with, with a caveat here, uh, some are just too damn funny and I couldn't take them out. I had to leave them in. So, so what I did is I made sure that if I, if I like took a real shot against uh, Christianity, I would take a, a shot against atheists. If I took a shot against uh, Republicans, I'll take a shot against Democrats or liberals. Yeah. So I, I try to balance it out. And with this next version, it's going to be even more balanced because I don't want, and I'm not going to name any group, but let's say there's a specific group that tends to be less critically thinking than other uh, groups, whether it be religious or political or whatever. Um, I don't want them ignoring my book because I'm making fun of them. <laughs> I, those are the people we want to read the book. Right. Sure. Uh, yeah. So, um, so I do my best, and I, I will be doing my best to try to really balance out the book, and and basically piss off everybody a little bit. But I think I think you, everybody could take it. Yeah, I think we are probably erring more towards the echo chamber. We we try not to. We try to be reasonable when we're evaluating claims, but we we don't try to hide our political leanings. And and I'm sure that most of our audience, although we do get the occasional conservative uh listener who who chimes in but we don't get a lot of that as you might expect it's not very surprising one of the things you talk about in the books is cognitive biases aside from the kind of motivational reasoning and, and ideological bias but cognitive biases that people may not be aware that they are um, experiencing um how important do you think alongside learning about logical fallacies is it for people to to learn about cognitive biases I think it's extremely important. I, I actually have a course specifically on that called Cogn Cognitively Biased. And eventually that will become a book as well. There's just a lot more research involved in cognitive biases because they're they're established scientifically, unlike logical fallacies, which, which can be more done on the fly by somebody who picks something up, uh, like picks up a, a flaw in reasoning, and then you kind of just identify it and, and explain it. Where... Cognitive biases are are a really psychological phenomenon that does have to be studied to, to to see that if it's actually if the effects actually there if it's actually true, and it has to be um, it has to be sourced as well. So there's a lot more work going into that. But to to really answer your question, I I I really do believe it's it's the other half of logical fallacies. There's a lot of crossover between logical fallacies and cognitive biases. It, and I, I explain the difference as cognitive biases are generally the foundation of logical fallacies. You create or, or you, you make a logical fallacy because of a cognitive bias. That's not all the time, 
But very often when we're talking about informal logical fallacies, that's the reason for them, because you've got something going on. Uh, there's some kind of uh, illusion, if you will, like an illusion of the mind that's causing you to think in a unclear way, in an erroneous way that results in a logical fallacy. So if you know cognitive biases and you are aware of them, and especially if you can spot them in yourself, like I, I definitely have a, a list uh, somewhere of, of cognitive biases that I find myself being victim of every now and then. And I, I try to keep those in mind when I am debating or arguing or even just evaluating a claim mentally. And that really helps me to to see the claim for what it is and, of course, to to evaluate it in such a way where I get a, 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 an answer that's more likely to represent reality. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think it's absolutely vital that people learn more about cognitive biases as well. So I look forward to that book coming out as well. Where can people find out more about you and about your work? I've got everything at bobennett.com. That's just B-O-B-E-N-N-E-T-T.com. That's my author site and all of my books and all of my online courses are linked to that site. That's great. And the new book is Rules of Reason, Making and Evaluating Claims, and I highly recommend it. So thank you very much, Dr. Bo, for coming on. We're just really pleased to, to have had the opportunity to speak to you. Well, thank you so much. I really had fun. I really, really like that interview because the whole book about the rules of reason, for me, it kind of turned it around. So we've concentrated kind of pretty much in our um entire podcast try where people have provided evidence for stuff and then we've gone about saying oh okay so if you provide evidence in that way then that's you know um, an example of the fallaciousness of your argument yeah but what he's saying is well actually they're const you're constructing the the argument in the wrong way so even if you provide the evidence you're providing evidence for the wrong reasons which i thought was good brilliantly insightful i'm gonna to have to go back and listen because he uses the straw man as an example of uh of the rules of reason being wrongly deployed we did the yeah. straw man back in episode two yeah of, uh so 49 episodes yeah. ago we did at the time talk about how it is really important when you're trying not to to straw man someone yourself to to kind of clarify what their position is before you try and debunk it and i think that is mm. a, a big part of what uh dr bennett was was talking about in the rules yep. of reason yep. and um yeah it is it is really important and we put it's something we probably haven't brought up and haven't possibly modeled sometimes mm. in in what mm. we've been trying to do so it is an important thing to keep in mind is that when you are approaching a claim sometimes it's very easy to just take the claim on face value uh, and and argue with what your interpretation of it is as opposed yeah. to checking with the person okay yeah is is this what you mean because this is what i'm getting from it before i kind of argue with you before, before yeah, i before i, before I evaluate whether i think you're right or yeah. not is this yeah, what you're yeah. saying um yeah, yeah. it's a it's and a good kind first of, and i liked his bit about the uh um, deploying diplomacy so you're kind of trying in in talking to people not back them into a corner which which um watching keir starmer in uh, prime minister's questions in the uk he is at pains to point out that he isn't doing that he's very dip yeah. diplomatic um you know but he's kind of setting the trap basically but he, <laughs> and he says 
he said, you know, I, this isn't my opinion. I'm not going to fight your opinion with my opinion. What I'm, I'm just reading out the contents of your report to me or the yeah. people that are advising you. I'm just reading out what they say. I'm not adding an opinion, which is very kind of diplomatic, but it is backing <laughs> the other guy into a corner. Yeah. And, it's, and on an intellectual basis, I totally agree. And I think that's a really good thing to do is try, kind of not try to make someone feel foolish. But mm. on an emotional basis, when mm. when, talk, when arguing with someone who's being stupid, it's very, very difficult it's, not, oh, not, no, to, it's exactly not the, to want the, to make them realise yeah, how yeah. stupid they yeah. are as well as argue yeah. with their point. <laughs> yeah. And finally, some things we really don't have time to talk about. Trump has touted the huge numbers of people tested in the US so much that the more cynical among you could be forgiven for wondering whether he even knows what per capita means. Well, wonder no more. And, you know, when you say per capita, there's many per capita. It's like per capita relative to what? But you can look at just about any category, and we're really at the top, meaning positive, on a per capita basis. This is so fundamental right now that my first reaction was, no. That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. But then I actually started to doubt myself. Are there multiple types of per capita? Like with different types of average? Am I the one being stupid? But no, I checked. And you'll be relieved to know that the leader of the free world five months into a global pandemic doesn't have the slightest idea or interest what per capita means. Holy fuck. And by the way, 20th in the world is not at the top, just in case that wasn't clear either. Per capita or otherwise, <laughs> yeah. Jesus. Not happy with just talking up chloroquine. Doogie Trump MD now claims to be taking the stuff as a preventative against catching COVID-19, which does seem a bit like taking arsenic to prevent sleep problems. Apparently, he says he's OK so far, which we all know has never been true. <laughs> Trump says he asked the White House physician about it and he said, well, if you'd like it. That's like calling Keith Richards' dealer the band's physician. Said White House physician Sean P. Connolly wrote in a subsequent statement, we concluded the potential benefit from treatment outweighed the relative risks, which, your note, did not explicitly confirm that Trump is taking the drug. And where's the evidence for those benefits? Ever the Home Shopping Channel presenter, Trump says... Are you ready? Here's my evidence. I get a lot of positive calls about it. No, you don't. Well, if any, then maybe from malaria sufferers or and maybe the manufacturer, Trump does have investments in a mutual that has holdings in pharma companies Sanofi who make Plaquenil, a.k.a. chloroquine. But I think he just fancied endorsing something. Shame it's not that bleach he's injecting. Hey, Clorox shareholders must be pissed. And as a bonus, it's obviously working because apparently he was tested again on the morning of May 21st. And I tested very positively in, a, in another sense. So this morning, yeah, I tested positively toward negative, right? So, no, I tested uh, perfectly this morning, meaning, meaning I tested negative. But that's the way of saying it, positively toward the negative. So I'm not clear what test he had. Was talking about IQ. <laughs> Republican Senator Richard Burr stepped down as chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee following news that he's under investigation by the FBI for insider trading after he dumped a million dollars worth of stocks following a coronavirus briefing and while the government was telling everyone there was nothing to worry about. Good news, you might think, and evidence that the DOJ isn't in Trump's pocket if they're willing to go after high-ranking Republicans. 
Well, while Burr is almost certainly a piece of shit profiteering while Americans die, he's not the only one. And yet there's no news yet of an FBI investigation into Senator Kelly Loeffler, who, as you'll remember from episode 47, dumped more than $18 million of stocks under similar circumstances. Why the difference? Surely it can't have anything to do with the fact that Burr was in the final stages of putting together a report on Russian interference in the 2016 election, or that Burr subpoenaed Don Jr. to testify to his committee, or that he agreed that Russia was trying to help Trump when they interfered. Nah, it's more likely because Senator Loeffler's husband donated a million dollars to the leading pro-Trump super PAC a few weeks ago. That's all right, then. Our favourite batshit fun factory, QAnon, and the theories it espouses, have been declared a domestic terrorist threat, no less by the FBI. And yet it's a go-to place for the information for insurance agent Joe Ray Perkins, who beat three others to become the Republican nominee to represent Oregon in November's election. She had tweeted, I stand with President Trump. I stand with Q and the team. Thank you, Anons, and thank you, Patriots. And together, we can save our republic. In a video posted on Tuesday, while holding up a sign with a popular QAnon slogan on it. Oddly given who's the current troller-in-chief, Republicans seem to be a little troubled over having a candidate who openly embraces baseless conspiracy theories. When asked why the Republican Party had nominated such a dodgy nut job, <coughs> not for the first time in their history, <laughs> the Oregon State Republican Party issued a lukewarm and seemingly reluctant statement saying, by virtue of being the GOP nominee, this is what we do, support them in winning the general election which is also a bit of an all sorts of circular fallacies going on in there too. Thankfully, Jeff Merkley, the incumbent, is considered a strong favourite in the Senate race. The state has gone blue for every presidential election since 1984 and hasn't elected a Republican governor since the 1980s, which, of course, is part of the whole conspiracy. God damn it, you fools, can't you see? One of my favourite parts of this story is that once she won the nomination, her campaign put out a um, a message saying that she wasn't really a QAnon follower. And, you know, while maybe some of the stuff they said was right, she did. She definitely wasn't a follower. She totally doubled down and said, that's not true. I definitely am a QAnon I really follower. am. Oh, no. <laughs> so, no. Oh, uh, dear, no. <laughs> as everyone knows, the less you test, the less cases of coronavirus you have. But that's not the only way to minimise coronavirus within your state. While justifying their aggressive reopening measures, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp released a chart showing how the state had effectively beaten the virus. And if you look at the chart, it's true. For example, Fulton County alone saw a dramatic and progressive decrease in new cases over four consecutive days. Unfortunately, those consecutive days were May 7th, April 26th, May 3rd and May 8th. It turns out, if you don't restrict yourself to the mainstream understanding of time, you can show a decreasing curve on any graph. Consecutive? In the competition for stupidest slash most evil Republican governor, Kemp's perpetual rival is Florida's Ron DeSantis. Less than a month after trying to get Florida's medical examiners to stop publicly releasing data on coronavirus deaths, DeSantis's administration fired the Florida Department of Health's data manager after she refused to manually change data to drum up support for the plan to reopen. Dr Rebecca Jones, who previously managed the online dashboard that gave Florida's residents detailed data on testing, cases and deaths in all of Florida's counties, emailed her subscribers 
subscribers to say, as a word of caution, I would not expect the new team to continue the same level of accessibility and transparency that I made central to the process during the first two months. After all, my commitment to both is largely, arguably entirely, the reason I am no longer managing it. Jesus, it's 1984, isn't it? It's that kind of, yeah, we've always been at war with Oceana, (laughs) yes. According to a study by Columbia University, 54,000 fewer people would have died by the beginning of May if lockdown had been imposed on March 1st, and 34,000 fewer if it had been imposed just a week later. And that's the same number as all of the deaths so far in the UK, which has the worst COVID-19 death rate in Europe, the whole of Europe. We are sickened enough that the lackadaisical, ah, whatever, we're better, nay, pluckier than the rest of the governments in Europe attitude of our leader could have meant more deaths than necessary. But Trump's I don't give a shit about anybody but me, baby, attitude needlessly costs the same number of lives as all of ours lost. And actually, 54,000 is nearly the same as the 58,300 names of members of the U.S. Armed Forces who were killed or went missing in action in the Vietnam War. That's why your tie is so red and long, Donald. You need a lot of red cloth to wipe those bloody hands clean without us seeing. There's an old myth that once a shark or a lion or something gets a taste for human flesh, then it becomes an unstoppable man-eater because we're just so delicious or something. Well, it seems it's the same with Trump and Inspectors General. Way back on April 3rd, which seems like about 12 years ago, Trump fired Michael Atkinson, the IG who had the temerity to let the House Intelligence Committee know about the whistleblower. Since then, he just can't stop himself. Next was Glenn Fine, whose job used to include monitoring how the government spent the $2 trillion coronavirus relief bill. Then it was Christy Grimm, who was fired after she reported on the shortages of medical supplies and coronavirus tests. Last week, Trump fired State Department IG Steve Linick on the advice of Mike Pompeo, and it wasn't long before we found out that Linick was investigating Pompeo for sidestepping Congress to arrange an arms deal with Saudi Arabia. Finally, for now at least, Trump fired Department of Transportation IG Mitch Bem who was investigating Transport Secretary Elaine Chow, who just happens to be married to Mitch McConnell. That's five in less than two months. Asked about it recently, Trump said, I think every president has gotten rid of probably more than I have. So, let's see. The numbers of inspectors general fired between 2000 and 2020 was Mm -hmm. one. In Britpoll News, in Wednesday's Prime Minister's questions, while still coming from the empty, haunted castle of the House of Commons, had got a few noisy screamers in to lend noise, if not wait, to Boris's answers, Keir Starmer pointed out that Boris's government had a policy to charge immigrants extra for using the NHS, which is paid for through a compulsory national insurance payment deducted from their wages along with their income tax anyway. This, of course, includes the very foreign-born NHS staff that saved Boris's pox-ridden, lily-livered, oxygen-starved, flabby and sorry hide only last month. Bojo told the House of Commons that imposing the immigration health surcharge on foreign-born NHS workers was the right way forward. But apparently only right for one more day, because 24 hours later he scrapped it as the right thing to do. You see, that's the advantage of having no moral compass other than be popular. You just go where the wind blows to stay in power. 
Fortunately, the opposition has a leader who knows how to trim the right sails to make sure Boris capsizes. So that's all the bad arguments and faulty reasoning we have time for this episode. You can find the show notes at fallaciousTrump.com and if you hear Trump say something stupid and want to ask if it's a fallacy, our contact details are on the contact page. If you think we've used a fallacy ourselves, let us know. And if you've had a good time, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can support the show at patreon.com slash ftrump. You can connect with us and other listeners in the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash fallacious trump. And if you'd like to do something nice for us to commemorate the fact that we've made it to 50 episodes, tell one other person about the show and encourage them to listen to it. Or tell 50. Yeah, why not? All music is by the outburst and was used with permission. So until next time on Felicia's Trump, we'll leave the last word to the Donald. That's right, go home to mommy. Bye. Bye. <laughs>